Dr. Amalia Ganyas-Malka. Welcome to Womanity, Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggles for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, democracy, racism, socioeconomic class division, and gender-based violence. Joining us on the line today is the chairperson of the Portfolio Committee on Cooperative Governance and Traditional Affairs and Member of Parliament, Ms. Faith Mutambi, who previously served as Minister of Communications as well as Minister of Public Service and Administration. She is currently a member of the National Executive Committee of the African National Congress, as well as being a member of the National Disciplinary Committee, a member of the National Legislature and Governance Subcommittee. She is also a member of the Association of Certified Fraud Examiners and a member of the Black Management Forum. And in keeping with her academic practices, Ms. Mutambi is also a member of the Black Lawyers Association and the South African Women's Lawyers Association. Welcome back to the show, Ms. Batambi. It's great to have you on the program again. Good morning, Dr. Malka, and good morning to all our listeners. It's a pleasure to be back on your show again. I believe I was here in December the 10th, 2015. You've got a very good track record and memory. I know that was when you were serving in the communications portfolio. Yes, that's the time I was the Minister of Communications. And now you're chairperson of the Portfolio Committee on Cooperative Governance and Traditional Affairs, or OKUHDA. Uh, and to give our listeners a, a bit of context on the ministry, it comprises of the Department of Cooperative Governance, as well as the Department of Traditional Affairs, and some of the key elements and constitutional foundations of the ministry include a system of cooperative government, uh, addressing our provinces, local government, and traditional leaders. And importantly, given today's COVID-19 environment, this ministry houses the National Disaster Management Center, and part of your responsibilities include holding the department accountable for its actions. I know that some of the recent developments include addressing the 20 billion stimulus package, raising awareness of COVID-19 and anti-stigmatization. Could you share some more information on those points? Thank you, Dr. Malka. You are all aware that there has been various disaster management regulations that has been promulgated since the starting of the lockdown uh, on the 26th of March. Time and again, there are regulations that are being gazetted, which sometimes all these regulations have not been clearly explained and communicated to the communities, resulting in misunderstanding and needless frustration and anxiety. Uh, also, there were issues that came with that post the proclamation, pro promulgation of the disaster regulation the abuse of the COVID-19 relief measures for political ends, such as illegal involvement of councillors in food distribution parcels, leading to some uh, activities that you hear that they were unwarranted. It's a lot of them, a marathon of them. Like you have rightfully also said, then government uh, then decided to provide a 20 billion relief package to municipality, which has 
been announced, but I must share with you, it has not yet reached our municipalities whose financial resources are almost depleted due to this uh, COVID-19 related development. I would also want to share with you that we have, as a committee, called all these three big metros in the country who are the epicenter of the pandemic. That is your city of Johannesburg, city of Etequini, and city of Cape Town, and the view was to hold them uh, to account into the plans in place in response to the pandemic. Yes, we'll agree that a uh, government has been trying to send various messaging to communities about the pandemic, but also you'll also uh, be rest assured that we've learned a lot of lessons, like uh, there is inconsistent experience with some townships in the country and informal settlements where life is business as usual. You'll recall that people are called to stay at home, but you know that. The other issue that I had to even address well, is the stigma around COVID-19, which is prevalent in some communities. Uh, you can see that this is uh, another way to say there's been insufficient communication and education around the pandemic. I'll share with you my experience, and this one I'm sharing it with you based on the fact that it has been done towards a woman. There is a woman in Chavenisi, it's in the Limpopo, in the Vembe district under Colin Savan municipality. One, Miss Keiza Mutongo, she is a responsible citizen. She felt that she needs to go for a test because she has heard the radio, TV saying that people who have symptoms of COVID-19 must go and test. But in her case, she took that responsibility and she went and test because she was just having some kind of flu symptoms. Then when she went there, she tested negative. And then, you know, the clinic management would always come to do follow up. Seemingly somebody saw the clinic vehicle at her yard and decided to spread the the message that she is affected with coronavirus. And then what happened to them? Eh? Then the community started to stigmatize her. Eh? Even her friends could not talk to her. And then they were calling her names that she have the disease. Until we stood up, myself as the chairperson of the committee, I went to the community on Sunday and then I took along with me uh, stakeholders that your traditional leaders, your civic leaders, and the councillors and the ward committee to start to educate these people that being affected by this virus also is not a death penalty. And then people must learn to live with others. So you can see that uh, these are the issues that our women also face. But let me end it here with regard to the recent development. So from a community point of view, these are significant challenges of, of creating awareness of the disease, of, of the pandemic. You've got someone here who you've given an example is a responsible citizen. She's gone to do testing. She's doing the right thing, but the community response has been completely inappropriate. Yes. How are we going to be able to mitigate and try to get the right message out to people? 
what I've also identified as challenges around that is that the communications at times has been confusing because you let find a situation where ministers were sending conflict messages, made, for example, uh, around exercise, the tobacco ban. And then also you find that situation where in also the regulation have been poorly understood by law enforcement officers. And then that caused a lot of anxiety and frustration in the in the community. My point of on this matter is that uh, our Department of Cooperative Governance, which is the lead department here, must then intensify its communication strategy. But it can also be done in different ways because, you know, in communities you have got what counselors. In communities, you have got a community development workers, and then community health workers are also there in communities. If all these organs of power are working together to make sure that they communicate one and the same message to create awareness, because I'll give you a classical example of my visit to Nkaveni C on Sunday. We took along with ourselves the health department officials, also the social uh, welfare department officials. And then we we, we understood that to say, if these officials at the local level can start to do, because there are things that we take it for granted. Our people, especially the one in the rural areas, they don't have access to television. They don't have access to radios. Some of them can't even read the plan they are not having access to social media networks so contact become very critical being mindful of the fact that we need to to practice social distancing but we do that we wear our masks we we practice social distances uh, contact with the people to tell them to explain what this disease is all about and then how should people behave i think it as it's especially the rural poor and when you talk about the rural poor it's women in particular who are mostly affected because remember as we grow our mothers never went to school because they were told that girls cannot go to school once a girl uh, go to school then she will become mad. So these are the areas which we feel are neglected. And then we need to use these organs of power that I've mentioned, your counselors, your community health workers, your community development workers, to spread the message with regard to what this disease is all about, what the precaution measures that people must take, including all these regulations that the government is releasing on a regular basis to regulate this issue of coronavirus, COVID-19 disease. You're absolutely right. And if we don't have consistent communication that is going out saying the right thing, provides a, a, a breeding ground for, for misinformation to, to spread. Staying with the theme of COVID-19, that this pandemic has really impacted the entire world. And unfortunately, the effects that we are starting to feel now will have long-term consequences. Yet some countries seem to be coping better with the spread than others. And I recently read an article which commended New Zealand, Finland, Germany, and Taiwan on their responses to the corona crisis. 
Interestingly, these countries are all led by women like Jacinda Ardern, Sana Marin, Angela Merkel, Tsai Ing-wen. And female management characteristics like collaboration, transparency, empathy, and delegation have been credited for creating a safe base that has helped them to their road of success. Could you please share some of your views concerning women in leadership? Yes, doctor and listeners, the World Health Organization has also commended our country, South Africa in particular, for acting swiftly and for following scientific advice to delay the spread of the virus. I think it is important to share with our listeners that the Ministry of Cooperative Governance and Traditional Affairs, which is a lead department with regard to the issue of disaster, disaster management is led by a woman. A, a capable woman for that matter is Dr. Nkosazana Gamini Zuma. As the custodian of the Disaster Management Act, the minister has been on the forefront of these regulations we live under as a country. The minister had to also extend herself with the speed of a light as none of us knew anything about coronavirus and its implication. I think we can attribute many of the successes of South Africa as highlighted by the World Health Organization to her and her team as, as it, it falls squarely in her turf. That's Dr. Lamini Zuma. You will recall, this is the woman that inspires all of us. She was also the first woman African Union chairperson. I'll give you the example of the former president of Liberia, uh, Madam Ellen Johnson Salif, who served as the 24th president of the uh, Republic of Liberia from 2006 to 2018. Uh, Madam Salif was the first elected female head of state in Africa. And you will recall during her tenure as president, she secured millions of dollars of foreign investment and established a Truth and Reconciliation Committee to probe corruption and heal the ethnic tension in the country. So, doctor and listeners, with regard to this, you will agree with me that whenever women lead, there's a greater impact. You also mentioned the issue of feminine management characteristics like collaboration, transparency, empathy, and delegation. And they were credited for creating a safe base that contributed to to a woman like a Madam Salif and Dr. Nkosas and the success. And you'll also agree with me, all these characteristics if you've mentioned them, uh, they produce a quality of women leadership. Uh, I will also come to the private sector. If you look at the attributes of successful women, you are unlikely to find those who wait for government to make things happen for them from both local to international. I'll give you a classical example of our own South African a woman. You look at a Mrs. Rasitana Kumalo. She's a self-driven, go-getter, hard worker, and her track record 
speaks for itself. You also look internationally at a person like Oprah, where she as to where she comes from. She was born into poverty in rural Mississippi to a single mother. She has been through a lot. She faced the same challenges our youth are complaining about today. She was molested during her childhood, became pregnant at 14 like school girls we see today. But if you look today, she has turned around her life because she did not make her circumstances an excuse. She's worth, if I'm not mistaken, over 2.6 billion US dollars. So to the women in our continent, one can just only say to them, you are the CEO of your own life. Our service women, we are the chief executive officers of our own life. Ms. Matambi, all of the examples of, of the ladies that you've just highlighted, they have achieved significantly in their respective fields of expertise and have not only had an impact on their own professional development and lives, but they have really made progress happen for other women as a result of, of the work that they've done. But yet when I, I look at these examples, and despite the evidence, which is really positive in terms of supporting female leadership, globally around the world, women make up less than 7% of world leadership. How can we change this picture? Yes, I agree with you 100%. But I think it's, we must also look where we come from as a country as a nation, as the continent, uh, uh, the women as place would been always be in the kitchen. But I should think now, as time is evolving, we shall get there, I, I agree, but then these are, things are now matters of the past. In December, Finland has just elected Sana Marin, a 34-year-old as the world's young saving a uh, prime minister. If not our generation, young women of today are not afraid to enter unchartered territories. You will recall with the issue in this our country, South Africa, during a, the fees must fall campaign. There were young girls like Wom Kachwa and others who were at the forefront of these uh, campaigns, fearless and very determined. So, of course, the world is ready. You've already mentioned uh, that New Zealand, Finland, Germany and Taiwan on their responses to Corona crisis, uh, 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 they've responded so well. These countries are all led by women, as you said. So to me, I'm saying young girls must stay assertive. If they must focus on education, then they can become better leaders. When I look at your portfolio, because in our, our, our conversation here, our, our past naturally informs our future. And somehow we have to break free from the traditions or the, the, the barnacles of the past that are holding us back. And in the current portfolio that you're looking at, it encompasses traditional affairs. And often in the 
the propensity of leadership is male dominated in the traditional sector. So what would be your advice for women who find themselves in this, this paradox of, of torn between what tradition and culture expect from them and what their future expects from them and the types of uh, needs that they want to, to fulfill, whether that be on a personal level of uh, attaining an academic qualification or, or building a professional career? Yes, uh, but gone are those days when people will use being discriminated tradition and culture because, like you have said, part of, of, of our side is over the Department of Traditional Affairs. Of late, you have seen also constitutional judgment. Remember in the past, women were not allowed to even become a senior traditional leaders to become a queens remember it was only meant for a, a, the, our male counterparts yes. of late our constitution preached equality uh, and then this is what you have seen the various constitutional judgment wherein you find that the women who were supposed to inherit the traditional leadership and lead the communities they are leading. What I find also very exciting now, in their programs, as they share with us, the APP, we always ask this question, what is in for women? You find that now the Department of Traditional Affairs is trying to also bring up programs that will empower these women in traditional leadership to be at par with their with their counterparts. So it's a very good uh, positive that one can talk about to say now. Even now, in terms of the mindset, our male counterparts are started to, starting to realize that without us as women, the country won't go anywhere. And you know that with women, women are great leaders. They are good leaders. Uh, they might not be in senior management as men are, but you will also see with regard to this response to also to the COVID-19, the people who were in the front line caring for the hospitalized majority of them are women. And then without uh, women in leadership roles, health, our healthcare and policy solution was not going to be representative of the workforce task with combating the pandemic. Coming back to these women again, I will say this. Uh, there's a fast-changing pace of the political uh, landscape. So this issue to say that for you to be a leader, you have to be belong to be a politician is not working because it's all about, which I always call is the starting point, it's education. Even running your own business, you need to understand that the environment in which you operate, it's a, either from finance, strategic governance, operations, and market research, etc. Without education, you won't be uh, have that. Of late, even if you are a politician, the demands of modern systems of governance of today's world is globally integrated and members uh, of government, of the executive, uh, as members of parliament, we need to understand the international relations and intergovernmental relations. So 
this all these things if you check they're all glued up with economics so then you need to have well-rounded expertise as you are saving the broader community you need to understand the constitution among many other things but most importantly you must have the integrity professionalism for the offices that you occupy and ethics so you can see that we are moving away from all those traditional ways because as we start this gonna those days that we say then let's look at the 50 50 uh, representative because remember there were time for us to meet the quota whatever we do like a government has developed a policy to say if then you are going to employ this this certain group must be men this certain group must be women but i think we have passed that stage way in now women we are reaching a stage there where women are going to be treated as equal partners so you must bring in your competency expertise a qualification for you to be taken serious because those issues that then you deal with the issue of employment equity we are bit by bit passing there there so women just have to have the requisite skill just have to be competent like their own main counterparts and they are said that the, the notion that uh, we are women we are leaders and then though there are challenges but we have to because we have got this other responsibility of being mothers handling our children also then do the work that men don't do but nevertheless to show it to the world that as women we are also equal to the task and we are able to do that whether we have support or not but we are leaders at our own right as women i'm glad that you're seeing an involvement and an evolution moving away from from the 50 50 scenario because if i i look at the anc for example as as an empowering structure on on being quite rigid in terms of nominations uh, it's, it's always called the zebra of 50 percent men 50 percent women and even when we look at the appointment of, of different ministers that we had attained a, a point of parity I still think that those types of interventions and whether one wants to call them quotas or, or targets are important so that the gains that women make don't regress yes. uh, in an ideal world. Obviously, meritocracy is, is what we want. Mm. But if we don't have something to help and assist, we could risk using those types of gains. Yes. Ms. Matambi, one of the most challenging components of, of gender quality principles is looking at aspects of work-life balance. And we've just highlighted some of the points that apart from having to achieve and be present in your professional career, that often there's still unpaid labor that needs to be attended to from, from the home, for example, of, of cooking, cleaning, looking after children. As a successful woman who's worked hard to build her career from being a lawyer, going into politics, what's your perspective of this? And do you think there is an, an all-in-one winning formula that, that can offer some practical solutions for women? Yes, I should think unpaid care work remains a key constraint on women's participation in activities outside uh, their household 
and then in addressing gender in in inequality in unpaid work then there there has to be a, a, a situation where in also women's work is also considered that because you recall uh, women are better to participate in the labor market and the labor market uh, uh, should be then treat them equitably i'm raising this because uh, you will recall that uh, uh, in many developing countries where the informal labor market is the main source of employment for women uh, social protection such as parental leave provision is limited or not offered you will also check that there are public care services that are limited in the availability and quality and as then well as benefits yes like and UIF, etc. Yes, yes. And it makes it difficult for women to combine the paid and unpaid work or to participate in paid economic activities on the same terms as men. Instead, you, you, you'll find that many women may opt for part-time informal work that is more easily combined with their unpaid care responsibilities. I think this is the matter that... Uh, uh, we need to seriously uh, advocate on because remember, I might be a CEO of a company with my male counterpart being a CEO of the company, but I've got this responsibility. When I reach home, though, though it's, it's the so-called 50-50 men do what women, but as a mother, I've got the responsibility to make sure that the children have done their homework they have eaten, they bath, they go to bed, which normally most of our counterparts, male counterparts don't do. But when you do that, still, I can still do my work. The other issue now, we, we as women, we do give birth. Uh, I've, the other time I was reading to say it's a barrier at times because like if the maternity period and the all the pains that come with that it also at times make you not to function the way you are supposed to do than your male counterparts but you will only be given a maternity leave paid or not paid and which a uh, this other mean counterparts they don't enjoy their waking life gets uninterrupted so on this topic, I think uh, there's still much that we need to, to 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 attend to it if we want to enable our to to empower our our women e economically, because uh, the time the time also that the women spent in 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 this unpaid work it's a it's a lot of time somewhere somehow what they are doing. Uh, it, if it was to be equated uh, to the GDP, the country's GDP, uh, the, you really you realize that uh, 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 the work that women do, it's then contributing to the women's share to that effect. But I need to say this, to say, that's why we say women have got a very big role to play in society. And at times their roles 
becomes undermined because of that, because uh, instead they have got families to take care of, they've got children to take care of, and then you know that there is life also balancing between way in then women uh, are the leaders of homes. You know, homes are built because of women are there. Think about of so many single parents who had to raise children, give them education, play the father role where there's no father in the case of absent fathers. But still, those were, that work of women doesn't get recognized. No. It doesn't. Mothers and uh, women at, at work is is what keeps a lot of our country moving. Ms. Mm. Watambi, we are unfortunately coming to the end of our, our time. Lastly, as we close out the conversation today, could you share a few words of, of inspiration, particularly in this difficult period of, of lockdown where, as a country, we're still on, on level four. Um, so words of, of motivation or, or inspiration to pass on to women across the continent that are listening to us. Yes. Uh, I should think, especially those ones who are in the forefront, uh, 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 I think we need to commend all these women who have raised to these unique challenges we are facing as a country. Uh, we know as women, female, as women, we are the ones who are feeling the impact of the pandemic. And then uh, uh, it affects us directly in the sense that uh, you still have to go to work take care of the family. In fact, the people who are on the forefront, uh, uh, we are managing a tremendous amount of invisible labor, whether it's caring for our children, partners, elderly parents, friends, or maintaining the stability in our own uh, a household. So the issue is that uh, 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 we should just jiggle it all because now we need to do all these things like caring for our children and households while also at the same time sustaining sustaining our employment. Uh, so we are now also now that with this pandemic expected to be full-time parents, caregivers, homeschool uh, teachers and housekeepers. Uh, all these uh, you find that your professional lives are becoming more challenging than ever. But I would say to all the women out there, don't give up. Uh, uh, don't give up. Uh, uh, we need to stand firm. We can still be devoted in doing the work that we do. But then that's not the end of the world because as women, we have got all the capacity capacity and the capability to hold the torch and lead. So that's what we are saying as women. We are the light of this nation. Let's hold on, put on our strength, and then continue to be the light that we are so that uh, we're doing this because uh, we are socialized to be more empathet empathetic than men. So we are going to overcome the challenges that are currently now more different and difficult, but 
uh, when we support each other uh, as women, and then uh, we also then our empathy then empowers our strength to do what we want to do, to stay more committed and more uh, focused. And then also at times, uh, the difficulty also for, for working from home. So then you need then to take control. And then uh, when there's no support at all, because at times you had to deal with this issue of empathy, which is an emotional intelligence and awareness. And women, as women, we know we have those in our space. Then we will always be there. We are leaders, we are community leaders. And then, you know, communities are built around us as women. Then we can continue to be these women who are leaders of the nations and then be the good mothers, caregivers. I will mention a lot but will survive this uh, pandemic we're facing. Us holding together will make a lasting change uh, and then uh, we'll make sure that uh, our country and the continent again becomes a better world to live in. Thank you for that message of, of strength and upliftment in this difficult period, which, as you say, it will pass. Yes. It's been a pleasure having you on our show today and thank you for, for sharing your time with us. I, I sincerely appreciate this, Gacha, and it is, let's just keep on spreading the message of hope to our people. You have been listening to Romanity, Women and Unity on Channel Africa, The African Perspective. And we have been talking to the chairperson of the Portfolio Committee on Cooperative Governance and Traditional Affairs and Member of Parliament, Ms. Faith Mutambi.